This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Footnotes, bringing you news and views to help you become a more informed neighbor, advocate, and believer. Y'all know me, I get excited for every guest that we have on Footnotes, but I'm particularly excited for this guest because we get to talk about something I'm passionate about, which is movies and filmmaking and storytelling. So we have on this episode, Dan Partland. He is the director of the film, the documentary film, God and Country. This is a film that you could say on its surface is about white Christian nationalism, uh, but more deeply, it's about pluralism. It's about the fact that there is a movement of people who think that diversity in the United States is a threat to them. It's a threat to their identity, it's a threat to their power, and they want to do whatever they can either to prevent this diversity or to control it. In other words, they don't want to live in a truly pluralistic, multiracial democracy. They would prefer a much narrower, anti-democratic, authoritarian way of doing things that enshrines their worldviews. Now, they layer over this political power grab, the veneer of Christianity. As I say, uh, white Christian nationalism uses Christian symbolism as a permission structure for the acquisition of political power and social control. So we deal with that. This film, God and Country, brings together all kinds of commentators I am one of the folks interviewed for the film. You will see me in there. I'm not looking my best. I, I lost my glasses uh, when we were recording, just before we were recording, and uh, I was not feeling my most confident, but I was still honest. I was still as authentic as I could be in my comments. And we get to talk to Dan Partland, the, the, the director, who's really sort of the creative force behind this. Now, the book is based off of the Power Worshippers. Go out and grab The Power Worshippers. I'll put a link in the show notes. That's by Catherine Stewart, an investigative journalist. She did a tremendous job, a chilling job. And what she does in particular in that book is is follow the money. And so you see these networks of far-right Christian nationalist groups that are funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars this white Christian nationalist movement. So it's based on that book, and we get into it, and you get a variety of views and perspectives, but I think it's great to raise the urgency of this, what I call the greatest threat to democracy and the witness of the church today. So this is my interview with Dan Partland. You can watch the film in theater starting February 16th. Hopefully it will come out on streamers a month or two after. But one of the great points that Dan makes is run, don't walk to see the film because documentary films typically do not stay in theaters for more than a week. 
So if it's out in a theater near you, go see it right away. Don't put it off because it may not be in the theater. You can go to godandcountrythemovie.com to check out where it's being played and to watch the trailer for the film. Godandcountrythemovie.com. Enjoy this conversation with director Dan Partland. And there he is, director Dan Partland. Thank you for joining the Footnotes podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to see you, Jamal. Well, obviously, we are here talking about your latest film project, the documentary God and Country. Will you just give us a quick overview of what the film is about and specifically why you thought it was such an important topic that we needed a whole documentary film about it? Wow. Well, you're jumping right into the deep end. I, you know, what the film is about is about God and country. I mean, it's about the relationship between faith and democracy and how those things might sit together comfortably or uncomfortably. Um, of course, there's a, a complicated history um, around the world about the intersection of faith and gov government, how, how we distinguish and draw lines about it. But I'm kind of giving a circuitous description of what it is because I hate using the terminology that people usually use as a shorthand for talking about it, which is the film is about the rise of Christian nationalism in the United States. And um, I hate using it because I think those are just kind of terrible words for describing the phenomenon. Uh, they don't do a very good job of laying out what it is. In fact, I find them completely confusing. And I think most people, un uninitiated people do because Christian nationalism sounds like it might be a very good thing. It might be something that combines uh, love of country with the love of your of your faith of your Christian heritage and who wouldn't want that? So it really takes a good chunk of the film to even just describe what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian nationalism, and I think you kind of need that as a launching off point. But I think in a more profound way, what I do hope the film is for people is it really is wrestling with some of the nuance of how a a true religious devotion might sit uh, comfortably or uncomfortably with a, in, within a truly pluralistic uh, democracy. And there seems to be some urgency around this topic, however we describe it, right? And why did you think that the medium of a documentary film was necessary or would be an effective way to unpack this ideology? Well, there certainly is a tremendous amount of urgency um, because I think there, by a lot of measures, it, it, this may be the the driving force be, behind some of the biggest cultural division that we're having right now. Um, it's really upending American politics, and I think is putting uh, the pluralistic American society um, very much at risk. Um, why the why a film is a good medium for it? Well, you know, different people get their information in different ways. Um, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I find that a very powerful way to communicate. Um, because what we tried to do with the film, you know, we have 18 voices in the film. Mm. Um, that's too many. It's a lot. Um, they're fantastic. They come at it from all different angles, different political persuasions, different faith backgrounds. Some are scholars, some are faith leaders, some public theologians, et cetera. Um, some primary interest is American government. Some primary interest is, is the American church. Um, 
pretty much all of them have written multiple books. I've read at least one book by anybody who's in the film and a mm. lot of their columns and a bunch of other books from people who we chose not to include for whatever reason. So what I'm really trying to do in the film is is capture some kind some bit of the experience that I had in researching doing a deep dive researching and making the film. Making the film comprised not just reading all of those books and, and the scholarship and all that, but actually going to a lot of events around mm. the country to see what it looked like and felt like on the ground. And so you take all of that knowledge and you try to boil it down. You try to boil it down to an intense 90 minutes that gives puts the audience in some kind of emotional journey. I think yes. what a film does differently than a lot of books uh, can do or a great, you know, column magazine piece is that it can put people on an emotional journey that in some way replicates the experience, experience that I had or what I learned. And by putting these things together, dense um, can you know, concise, consolidated information into an emotional journey, I think is a, a really effective way to communicate with people because the topic otherwise is so vast and and complicated and hard to hold on to, you can miss the forest for the trees. So hopefully people will go on, will watch the film, they will go on that ride. Um, and it is a ride. It's, it's, uh, it's an emotional journey that'll take you into a lot of different places. Um, and hopefully um, marries the important points of the contact with with the kind of um, correct em emotional intonation. You're so spot on with that emotional journey. I remember the first time I screened the film and mm -hmm. there was a literal physiological response in me, like heart beating faster, breath a little shallower, specifically as I was watching scenes from the January 6th insurrection. I mean, so much has happened in that time frame, right? We were still reeling from uh, COVID and, you know, social distancing and all of that going on. Uh, we've had so much happen since then. You almost forget until you see the footage again, right? Like we, we understand it happened, but we don't always immediately remember how it felt in that moment and that the film took me back to that moment in a chilling way but i think an effective way that makes you want to get up and do something so we are going to talk most of our time about that but first let's zoom out a little bit and sure. let's talk about dan partland let's talk about who you are introduce yeah. yourself to to our our listeners and also you know just where you grew up and what kind of got you into filmmaking? Well, um, I should say, um, yeah, I'm a career documentary filmmaker. I think there was, you know, growing up in, I grew up uh, in the Northeast um, in a, a very, uh, I mean, 100% Christian conservative town. Um, the big... Um, the big uh, conflict, I mean, it wasn't a conflict, but the, the the sort of tension was between, you know, Catholics and all the mainline Protestants. Uh -huh. That was the that was the tension. There was no there was nothing more exotic going on in that town. Um, in terms was it of any, what is it any of the ethnic tension like Irish Catholics and, you know. Oh, well, British you know, or... there was there was Irish Catholic, you know, and, and my heritage is Irish Catholic. Um, okay. I mean, I have a diverse interfaith. Uh, background myself and so I'm you know but I'm mostly a secular person so I never I, I don't really um 
you know, I, I don't put myself on any particular team in that equation. Um, but yeah, very, um, but, you know, but politically conservative. And I would say the religious profile of the town, like a lot of uh, communities in the Northeast at the time, I think that everyone identified as some kind of Christian faith, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't foregrounded in their personalities. It wasn't foregrounded. It, it didn't feel as intimate as a lot of people in, you know, other more evangelical traditions. This mm-hmm. was sort of a, a lot of people to my eye anyway, their faith was very traditional. You know, they, they liked the rhythm of it. They liked the foundations of it and all that. Um, but, um, you know, it didn't, certainly for some, it was a, an important part of their life. But anyway, um, yeah, so, but growing up in in, in that environment, um, you know, oh, I'll, I'll digress into my family a little bit. Yeah, my family is multiple generations of interfaith marriages. So mm. um, some that means that some of my cousins have grandparents who are, have two or three different faiths among their grandparents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When, as soon as you have two generations of intermarriage, that inevitably happens. Um, so among my first cousins, there literally is not a family that has the same religious profile, right? Wow. There's there's a, a Presbyterians, uh, there's Catholics, there's Jews, there's atheists, and there's uh, Greek Orthodox. And so we all grew up going to each other's services and that all felt very natural to me it felt very normal it felt very american you 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 comport yourself in the tradition of whatever family um function you're going to this family is jewish then you follow jewish traditions this family is catholic you follow catholic traditions Mm -hmm. and we all did that um but anyway, yeah, so I mean, what got me into filmmaking was where you were asking is, is um, honestly, I was very interested in politics as a huh. as a younger person. All and right. at some point... Life of the party. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and as a younger, as a, uh, but, you know, at some point in college, I started to feel like um, maybe media was a better way to mm. uh, move the culture and influence the conversation than politics. And so that's what brought me into filmmaking. So you said that 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 was college. Was there always a love of film and sort of you know this this you know how some kids will take a a, a radio or an elect piece of electronic whatever and take it apart to see how it's put together? Were you thinking of films in that way prior to college, or was that later on? Yeah, well, I was definitely a movie buff. Uh, I was definitely an intense movie buff, and yes, yeah, starting in high school as there started to be technology that you know, was relatively accessible. I mean, we're talking about big clunky VHS recorders yeah. or stuff like that. But there start at some point in high school there start to be some very embarrassing films that I'm making. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere. I love it. Yeah. Um hopefully those get digitized and put online somewhere at some point. Oh um, no, <laughs> I'm always fascinated like with folks who are behind the camera. Was there ever a thought or uh um a desire to be in front of the camera either, either either as an actor or a commentator or were you always like yeah i want to be behind the camera creating this stuff you know not not really for me i mean i don't um i don't i don't have a a, a special lust for that um I'm, sometimes it comes up in these films like where 
should they be more personal and should the filmmaker, you know, in a documentary, sometimes mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. The, the filmmaker is more present in general. I, I haven't gravitated to those. I, I, I'm, I would do that in an appropriate situation, but, but kind of reluctantly yeah. because, you know, what I'm interested in doing with a lot of these films is really um, foregrounding, elevating voices who are more pertinent to this than mine. And that's very much the case with God and Country. I mean, of course, by the time you've read 20 plus books on, you know, on a phenomenon and you've immersed yourself in it, you you are an expert of sorts. You got um, some thoughts. But, yep. <laughs> yeah, you have some thoughts and you're ready to put it together and all that. But but you know, my thoughts are on the the shoulders of others, right? I learned so much. Um, it's a genuine exploration. That's an important thing that I think mm. people about what a documentary is i think a lot of people feel like they expect that you have this idea about what it's going to be and then you kind of go out and find people to say the things that you hoped would be yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's not really like that i think it's you know not the way i do it anyway it's much more authentic that you know you study up and you learn everything you can but you still have other questions and you know and so then getting to actually sit with experts like yourself is really my opportunity to try to take it to a deeper level and try to get you know something more than what my research has been able to um you know to find and and to wrestle with some things real time on camera and then you know and that's uh and that's usually that's where the good stuff comes that's when the best most important stuff from your interviews comes out is um, when we're get kind of getting to the next level so one more sort of biographical question. Uh, you're a two-time Emmy award-winning de- mm. in nonfiction. Uh, yeah. And I- I'm wondering why nonfiction, why more documentary kind of projects, um, or do you also have a, a portfolio of, of more sort of fiction creative projects like that? Well, I love uh, scripted stuff, too. I love fiction filmmaking, and I definitely came up in the early days doing both Mm. and really wanted that to continue. Um, I think that, you know, as a practical matter, um, what what I found was I don't know, there was a period when I, I felt like a lot of scripted stuff, fiction filmmaking was getting really stale. Mm. And I felt like nonfiction was the wave of the future. You know, as you start to, you know, by the time, you know, if you're a film student, I studied film in college. I mean, some weeks you're watching 15 and 20 films. Wow. Right? You just become so, so immersed in it. And, and, and you start to really feel, the, you know, the scenes really start to show that it's too formulaic all the time. It's really hard to break out in that there's these grooves and genres that everybody's kind of pushing you into. And, and I started to feel like um, too many scripted films are kind of empty calories mm. as, as a, as a mm. media. And so my thought about documentary was that, yeah, I mean, a, a well-done film where somebody's about to, you know, save the world from the asteroid and all that. Like, I love that. Of course, everyone loves that when it's well done. Go on that ride. And oh, my God. Yeah. Um, But I started to be more drawn to the real problems of real people. Mm. Right. It was too many of the films were just getting far afield um, of things that I felt were really rich and helpful insights. And that the way to 
read compat reads the wrong word to to foster compassion in the culture is to show is to elevate people's stories mm. that are real people struggling with real things that maybe um, an audience otherwise doesn't have access to they haven't seen before they wouldn't see on their own but that you could tell that story and by understanding what's going on in that person and putting putting the the audience on a genuinely compelling and even an entertaining emotional ride i mean it has to be entertaining as well it has to draw you in um but that i would just be less likely to be putting more empty calories out into the media landscape I love that. And I love that analogy of empty calories. And I, it really resonates with me what you're saying. And it resonates with me as an author. Uh, so as I write, I do nonfiction. And I find, you know, reality stranger than fiction in so many ways. The stories are absolutely fascinating. If you can figure out how to tell the story in a compelling way, whether through words on a page or through images on a screen, then I do think that enters us into a human experience that we might not have had access to at all, or at least in a different way. And again, it does, it touches on the emotions, which which then leads to action, which is always my motive in a lot of these, these projects. So bringing this back to God and country and connecting it to your story, yeah. was there anything that that stood out to you as, as as sort of different about making this documentary, either in the mechanics of it or the emotion of it, and and you know the parts of yourself that it accessed in creating this film. The hardest thing about this film was how sensitive it all it all was, and that was apparent from the beginning. That anything that is getting it's touching on anyone's faith is such a sensitive, sensitive mm -hmm. topic. And it was apparent that despite my interfaith, you know, background, and despite studying re religion, particularly studying a lot of Christianity in, in college, um, I just, at how at sea I was, at, at what a mm -hmm. whole world there was to, to learn, and that I really wanted to be conversant in. You know, I mean, anybody who is who's an expert in something you know they read a piece in the paper that's you know right on their topic and so it's very frustrating when whoever wrote that you're like yeah they they don't really they're not really in it they don't really understand all the complexities they're missing some important things they're not talking about it in the right way they're not using the right language and so it felt really important because this was also sensitive that i just had to i had to like get really deep and really immerse myself um and and just was starting you know this is such a different world you know and when i say that i'm talking about you know i'm not just talking about people of faith in general i'm talking about like the the conservative christian community um is you know you've got to under you've got to be in it and understand it. And, and so the ride, the journey that I went on was really becoming a bit of a Christian nationalist. I don't mean like I didn't, I never was won over to some of the political deliverables, but I felt like I, I was fully immersed in it enough to feel the pull, understand a bit of the attraction, mm -hmm. and to begin questioning my own assumptions from the outside. Mm -hmm. And and that was really interesting and really scary. Because, you know, I mean, I was just like, you know, when you're just in it, and you're immersed in it, you're reading what they say about all these same topics, 
you just like, well, you know, kind of was a Christian nation. Maybe it really was it. Like, you know, you, could, you the foundations get shaken because there's such a monolithic point of view and so full of rather sophisticated disinformation. Mm. And when I say that, what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, all good disinformation has a kernel of truth. It's pinned to a kernel of truth. And so you you're like, well, that is true. You know, that 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 one little thing is true. And now they've attached a lot of other meaning to it. And now I have to like see if that other meaning is really appropriately attached to it. Um, so that was that was really interesting. And that was a particular sensitivity that I think that I tried to learn. I can't say if I was successful enough, but that I tried to learn um, before I felt like I could really uh, tackle this project. The sensitivity part is is one of the striking things that stood out to me in the way the film turned out and in the process of making it, because it seemed to me, and maybe you can unpack this some, you had a real eye toward how can we put this together in a respectful way, but also for the purpose of maybe some white Christian nationalists who maybe don't even know they're white Christian nationalists, they'll actually access the film. So talk to us about the challenge of creating a film that's really critiquing this whole ideology, but wanting it to get to this target audience where it, it, it might move some people in a, in a better direction. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's the whole game. I mean, you know, there's a couple of, um, uh, you know, I, I I picked up a very good word from you and and note that you you had sent to me um, about a coalition of the willing. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, of course, in any piece of media, you're a little bit constrained to the coalition of the willing. I mean, people who aren't going to go see it just aren't going to go see it, and you can't access those people. So, you need to have appropriate expectations. Um, but I do think you you identified the specific um audience in a sense i mean the thing that frustrates me the most and that i find most concerning is how many good decent people who are just wanting to be good citizens and good christians are inadvertently unwittingly um swept up in it and so you know it definitely um and 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 also how many people um have this disinformation that we glanced off of has seeped into them a little bit and is a little bit informing their perspective and sort of drawing them and that more disinformation is getting built on that every day that's moving the, you know, moving the whole, uh, you know, moving their whole outlook. So, yeah, I think that we were very much trying to um, tell it as a story that invited people in and to do that, I think, you know, to some basic storytelling ideas, you have to you have to figure out what the entry point is, you know, what's the problem, and also make people feel comfortable that it isn't going to be an attack on their faith, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to make sure that you get those, get that out right at the beginning to begin to, you know, sort of con confess the good faith effort of the film in a way that will let people open their hearts and minds to it. And I appreciated that. It was sort of a good like counterbalancing to to me and probably some of the other commentators who we are in this world, right? And 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 we know the the actors both 
past and present. And so we're like, okay, let's just get right to the point. Let it, let's, let's unload, let us, you know, call it what it is. And I appreciated the sort of chorus of voices and also your creative direction to say, we'll get there, (laughs) but let's, let's sort of walk people to it. And, and that's why I'm confident that this is a film that you can bring the, the sort of unconscious adherence to. All right. So, um, in their book, uh, uh, White Andrew Whitehead and Sam Perry they they um, taking back America yeah 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 taking back America for God well there's a spectrum of belief right it's not you are white Christian nationalist or you aren't there's levels of adherence to it right and so the 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 most extreme adherence to it which by the way is a relatively small proportion maybe ten percent right they're probably not going to come to this. They're going to see what it is. They're going to see who's in it and they're immediately going to stiff arm it. They're going to reject it. But there's a much larger group um, in one scale called the accommodators uh, that was somewhere around 20% that aren't, they're not the ones who would show up on January 6th. That would be a bridge too far, right? But when it comes to the politics of what these folks were standing, they're probably more or less on the same page. But if they were exposed to different information, might be open to changing their minds. So that's how I try to talk to folks online or if they ask me about the film. Is that what you would say? I mean, who would you say this film is good for, um, maybe even extending beyond that coalition of the willing who's already against white Christian nationalism? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we are, you know, are uh, we've already found among um, sort of friends and family, because the film isn't even out yet, but among friends and family of the film is, you know, the film was created in part to be a tool for having this conversation Mm -hmm. or giving a framework to people who otherwise don't kind of don't know how to talk about it because it's really hard to talk about. Um, But so one of the things we've been, it's been useful with this people saying, you know, I don't know how to talk to my dad about this, um, yeah. but it feels like he's getting caught up in something that is maybe different than what his authentic values are. And so I'd like to show it to him. Would, would that be okay? And we say, oh, of course, anybody connected with the film, go ahead. And so what it really is becoming is like a miniature like campaign is the, will you watch this for me? Will you watch this for me? As this is an opener an opener for having the conversation. And I think when, you know, when someone who uh, you know and love is is asking you in good faith, will you, will you take a look at this for me? I'd love to, you know, n- no judgment, like have a look and then can we talk about it afterwards? Um, I think that can be a great way to open a conversation. Um, obviously people, like you said, who are all in uh, what the Whitehead and Perry paradigm would call um, uh what are they not ambassadors ambassadors of christian nationalists they're not uh that's not who we're talking about we're talking about people who are more in this accommodators kind of middle area where they ascribe to some i think that there's a you know there's what's really frustrating to me on the political end of the spectrum is that and this is about what's happening in the culture is that is that people who are voting for candidates who they maybe don't like because they're on their team. 
Yeah. You know, and so that's that it's also about that. It's like, okay, wait a minute. We if you're voting for somebody who you don't really like, you don't really agree with most of it, maybe they have one issue that's really important to you that they're on board with, but they're bad for the country, they're bad for the world, they don't really ascribe to your value system. Like I, we I also want to like I find that it, a really, really frustrating thing about our about the tribalism that has happened in the culture that we we would prefer to vote for somebody who we really dislike on so many levels because they're on our team, mm-hmm. and I think we have to show how dangerous that slope is and that we're sliding way down it at the moment because I think a lot of people are holding their nose and voting for candidates who they deeply are at odds with. Um, but I also want to just challenge one of the premises. It's not one of yours, but that people always talk about like that there's um, a problem if a film is preaching to the converted. Mm. Um, Well, to some extent you always are stuck with the coalition of the willing. It's people who are willing to look at it and take it seriously. But I think in this thing that we opened with about how film can kind of, you know, attach some emotion to knowledge that you already have and how that can bring people to action. I mean, the model you would look at for this is um, Inconvenient Truth, right? When when Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth came out, um, everyone knew all of that stuff. We've been talking about the greenhouse effect before we called it climate change. You know, we've been talking about CO2 emissions and reliance on carbon, you know, all that kind of stuff, I mean, for, for decades. Um, but that film, Davis Guggenheim's film, put it together in a way that was so powerful and compelling that it really did attach this emotional story to it. And it became very, very hard for people to continue to leave it in the back of their mind anymore. Yes, exactly. And, and that's why that was a really effective tool and I think really moved the climate change uh, discussion politically quite a bit. And I think that's an encouragement to artists and creatives out there. It's not that the information that you're putting together has to be so new or so revelatory, but the act of putting it together and of crafting a story, crafting a narrative around that information can have a different impact. I mean, what you say uh, relates a lot to, I think, what happened with my first book, The Color of Compromise. It's no secret that white Christians were complicit with racism, if not outwardly actively champion it, but to put it in a single volume, uh, even as a survey in just skimming, you know, the, the, the history and, and letting people sit with that in a condensed form made a big difference. So again, I just, I, I, I love that you're highlighting that point because you might know this information because you read it in a book or an article, or you had a conversation, but seeing it in a film form, it, it hits different. Trust me, it hits different. It's worth watching just for that reason alone um, to get the information you might already have access to presented in a different way. Um, Rob Reiner has come up <laughs> yeah. uh, as a big deal around this film. So he serves yeah. as executive producer just for folks who may not recognize the name. I know you recognize his work. Some of the projects he's been on. This is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, Misery, A Few Good Men, Ghosts of Mississippi, When Harry Met Sally, and, of course, The Princess Bride. What he gets less credit for, (laughs) or doesn't show up in all these bios, is his role as uh, Jess's dad in New Girl. That's where... That's where I rediscovered him. I knew his name and his work, but then seeing him on screen on uh, New Girl as Jess's dad was hilarious. He was so good in that. 
was he involved in this project? He's the executive. He's an executive producer. Was he involved from the very beginning? Did he come on later? And how did he get involved? Yeah, it's a little it's a little complicated because he's it was both. Um, so Rob, uh, another producer who started the project, um, had optioned uh, Catherine Stewart's book, The Power Worshippers. Was very yeah, interesting. shout out to no. Catherine Stewart, incredible right. investigative journalist. Great. Um, and yeah, and he he was looking to do, he just, he was very concerned about this topic and wanted to, you know, wanted to put together a film that would tell more, tell the general public about it. Um, and he got it to Rob um, and Rob read the book and thought it was great and wanted to be helpful to it. And he basically connected uh, that producer with me and Basically, what Rob said at the time is, I want to try to help this to happen, but then I want to get away from it. I want to have nothing to do with it because I know my political profile would be too much of a distraction to the uh, film. The yeah. film never want to be saddled with with that. As he as he says, I wouldn't use this term, but as he says, I'm a libtard. You know, these people call me a libtard. So, um, so yeah, so Rob really, really then was not, uh, he was not really involved for for quite a while. And at some point it almost happened um, invisibly because we, of course, were uh, updating him and keeping him in the loop on stuff. Um, we assumed that we would set it up with a streamer or with something like that. Um, but at some point we were just doing it independently and we just, you know, needed him wanted his help. And he was getting very excited about the content. He said, okay, I'll do it. Um, that was pretty, and it was like late in the process. It was, it was certainly after the bulk of the interviews were shot. There were only a couple of interviews left. Um, but anyway, that became controversial for some reason. I mean, you know, I, it's a controversy that um, I don't really relate to at all. I think, um, you know, the film is the film. And I think discovering, you know, other people who had their hands on it in the background, that only seems relevant if you think that there was something uh, dishonest or untrue about the direction that it took. Um, you know, Rob didn't, Rob was, you know, he's a filmmaker himself. He doesn't want to, he didn't want to tell me what to do with the film. He wanted me to make the film that I wanted to make and he wanted to be helpful. And he kept that stance, you know, and people asked me about his input in the edit. Well, his input in the edit was like very craftsman like, you know, um, I, of course, he's a great filmmaker. I wanted his input, but I also didn't want to, wasn't going to show him the film until it was in decent shape. You know, I mean, like, so we, we got him a cut that was in decent shape and then he could weigh in and he said, you know, he gave very craftsman like, you know, mm -hmm. responses, which I was grateful for. It was like dragging here. I think you could do better. This music is not working, you know, um, that kind of thing. And so I think if anybody, thought that there was some, uh, you know, he was pulling the strings for some political agenda, twisting my arm to say something that I didn't want to say. I don't even know what that would be. Right. Um, but I don't really, I think it's much ado about nothing because ultimately there's no ulterior motives. There's nothing at odds, you know? There's that's right, no, that's right. You know, well, like this what, is... <laughs> This is your close encounters with uh, the the far right, um, especially online. So just for folks yeah. who, who may not be aware, 
when the trailer came out for the film, there was an immediate reaction. Of course, there's a spectrum of reactions. Some were super enthusiastic and like, can't wait to see it. And many still are like that. But of course, there's like the far right, uh, who the trolls basically who came on and it relates to our conversation earlier. Like, like you were saying, when you got immersed in watching, uh, fiction and scripted films, you, you saw the scenes, you saw the formulas, right? It's the same with like far right trolling. Like it's pretty, there's a, there's a, it's like a procedural <laughs> television show. Yeah. The, the plot points, you, you know, they're going to be the same every single time, but the specific content they drop in those plot points varies. So for this time, I was a little bit surprised at, uh, the sort of sideways, maybe even creative angle they took to try to trash the film. Again, no substance to it, like you said. But what they did was they looked at the cast of, you know, interviewees and, and the commentators, and then they looked at Rob Reiner as executive producer, and they say, oh, he's not a Christian, or he doesn't believe in God. How can all these Christians sign on to a project with somebody who doesn't believe what they do? Which is absolutely bonkers to me. Right. Um, it, it has nothing to do with the content of the film, with the point that it's trying to make. And honestly, a very weak critique of the film in general. Like, I think they could have done <laughs> they could have found something else uh, to, to, to make a big deal out. So I was really kind of surprised and bemused that they it would just target the EP because he wasn't a Christian uh, real quick. What does an executive producer actually tend to do in a film? You know, I mean, that's a really tough question. <clears throat> Producers get that uh, get a producer credit for all kinds of reasons. There's a reason everyone from uh, the person who ori who originated the idea, the person who optioned a book, the person who put up some money, the person who put who connected you with distribution. The put you know, like there, there's Anybody just a really helps produce the project, right? <laughs> That the anything that with producer in it has a lot of different potential meanings. Um, you know, as far as the the reaction, the reaction that you're talking about was kind of unbelievable. It was to the trailers, a two-minute trailer. Um, and what's crazy to me in retrospect is how much we were not ready for it. Because I've just spent two years studying this stuff. I, I should, of course, have we, you know, we were prepared for that getting incoming once the film was out. Um, but I guess we just, we, did, we, we were a little bit um, on our heels, not really expecting that there would be so much vitriol from people who had not seen the film. You know, why, what, what are you, what is the issue with the film? And so, like you said, because I know they haven't seen the film, their critique was limited to, the circumstance of the film's making. And, you know, I think, um, but one of the things that's very telling about it is, um, you know, the, the vitriol that people got online for participating in the film, you know, varies with their um, Christian conservative bona fides, right? Yeah, yeah. The more, the more authentically Christian you are, and then add concert the more authentically conservative you are, if determined how much anger you got from these Christian conservative trolls. Um, and that makes sense, right? Because they they really want to uh, this is going to sound uh, hyperbolic, but they want to keep their their people in line, right? they they want that the worst critique is from people who actually share their their political um, and faith beliefs. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. People were most like them. But so in the case of um, Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani from the Holy Post, you know, Phil got terrible, terrible uh, vitriolic uh, assault online and Sky got almost none. Mm. Because Sky is not perceived to be very conservative and Phil is perceived to be conservative. So we got to, you know, and then people who, you know, people in the speakers list who are either not, you know, not Christian or not conservative, they only got praise online. Mm -hmm. They couldn't, nobody was coming mm -hmm. after them. Um, but the substantive piece in that, because it actually is substantive, it actually goes back to the very origins of the project where I, I was like not, I had a moment where I wasn't sure. I just, I don't, I think it's an important thing, but I'm not sure I should do this film because I wouldn't want to do something that could be perceived as an attack on anyone's faith. Right. And then as I got into it, I realized, no, 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 no. That's why I need to do this because this is a bunch of BS that this is an attack on anyone's faith. That's actually the principal way they control the narrative is if we can just scream and, and shout and say that anybody who critiques our political agenda is anti-Christian, then we can shut down dissent. And what society can thrive when there is a political agenda, particularly one, a political identity that is as big as this one, that is beyond critique. And that's effectively what's happened because major media is also not comfortable really, really analyzing this and talking about it in plain terms for fear of offending people, uh, Christians of good faith. That's right. That's right. I'm so glad you brought that up. It gets to something you said at the beginning of our conversation around that term, white Christian nationalism, how it can obscure or uh, shut down conversation in a lot of ways. And I agree that 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 can often happen. I think one thing that that can also happen on the flip side with that term, by calling it white Christian nationalism, is you get to critique this thing that is masquerading around as Christian because they're using these Christian symbols, whether church going, prayer, crosses, Bibles, whatever it might be. And so from the outside looking in, especially if you're not sort of well-versed in this world, that can be your picture of Christianity. And if we don't talk about it in that religious framework, which is the framework they're trying to use, then we miss the opportunity to say, there's a different way of doing religion. There's a different way of doing Christianity. And this is what I always say to folks who who ask or or say, you know, white Christian nationalism is not really Christianity. Well, of course not. It's not the Christianity of Jesus. It doesn't look at all or sound at all like Jesus, but it's masquerading as Christian. And then the real salient question isn't, in my view, is this Christian or not? It's what responsibility do Christians have? for correcting, opposing, confronting others who are doing really harmful things in the name of their religion. So I, I think it puts a burden and responsibility on us uh, who call ourselves Christians to say, that's not the way of Jesus. Let me show you why, and let me show you a different way. So Again, I think yeah. the film is a wonderful conversation starter uh, for that purpose as well. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And I and I read your your great uh, um, 
column on that in in on your Substack, which I really appreciate because uh, a couple of a couple of quick thoughts. I mean, one is that you know one of the talked about moments in the film is I ask people, all the speakers, if if um, if this if Christian nationalism is Christian, and I was really counseled by a lot of scholars against that framing. For the reasons that you talk about, this is what you, what you, because you're a scholar in the field, know as the no true Scotsman uh, problem, which is we don't. There's a million expressions of Christianity, all of them are valid in their own way. You know this this kind of thing, which I, is also true. Um, but you know when you're making a film and you're you're trying to speak in plain language to a lot of people, like to me that misses the point. It's too, that's too fine. That's slicing it too thin. What most people need to understand about, you know, like what Christianity is, comes across in some big concepts. And it does have a shape. It does have a shape. And that, and, and is that shape, is this movement faithful to that shape or not? The shape is about love and peace and compassion. You know, it's about turning the other cheek. It's about doing unto others. It's about loving your enemies. You know, these are radical ideas about how we would treat each other that the the amazing thing happened in history is that they became mainstreamed through through the proliferation of Christianity, that these ideas became attractive to everyone. And we built, a, I think, a more humane, more compassionate culture as those ideas proliferated. And so as this movement specifically eschews those central concepts, those that's what's absent from it, is mm-hmm. any of that. So yes, there's a million expressions of Christianity, and and it's thoughtful. I mean, I appreciate your your column about this, which is saying, um, you know, but we have to also recognize that it also is Christian. It is a Christian movement because it's happening in church, and so Christians, I, I definitely think, you know, for Christians to call on other Christians, of course, to to respond, because the the sad thing for all of us is that the perception of the Christian faith and the culture has changed. And that's going to be a generational um, struggle in the United States, I think, to recapture what I view as the spirit of Christianity in in sort of crassly put branding way. I think that uh, I think that you're having a lot of people leaving religion in general, secularizing of the culture. And I think this rise of Christian nationalism is dramatically going to accelerate that because it's just so distasteful um, to so many people. And it is becoming, sadly, the dominant expression of Christianity in the United States. And that's the real danger. That's the real real tragedy of it. I love that you said that. I always say white Christian nationalism is the greatest threat to democracy and the witness of the church in the United States today. For that very reason, right? That it's been uh, rebranded, to use that term, as this you know far right, authoritarian, you know, anti democratic uh, thing that is contrary to the way of Jesus. And by the way, everything you said there was so demonstrative of this is where the art comes in. Mm-hmm. So it really takes a village to convey vital truths in a persuasive, compelling way, because you come in with the eye of an artist, a craftsperson, a director, and say, 
how do we get to the heart of the matter in a way people will understand? And the 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 it, perennial obstacle that scholars deal with is, well, it's complicated. <laughs> it's right, nuanced. Sure. Let let's show the okay, yes, there's a there's a time for that, but not yeah. in a two-minute trailer and not in a 90-minute documentary necessarily, um, or at least walk people into that. So I do, I really appreciate that view. And I think it's absolutely one of the sort of mic drop moments in the trailer that you include about, you know, just this direct question. Is Christian nationalism Christian nationalism? Last question. Um is around race. So I am yeah. constantly using the full name white Christian nationalism. A lot of people across the board, on the right, they never say white Christian nationalist because they always want to minimize the role of race and pretend like it's not there. Or is if race is there, it's always the problem of brown and black people, right? But even um, among the coalition of the willing, a tendency to call it Christian nationalism, I don't know if it's just one less syllable to say, or people are are tripping up on the fact that you do have people of color who are espousing the same ideology. So in the process of making this film, would you just talk a little bit about the role that you see race playing in the movement and how you tried to address that in the film? Yes, well, race is central to the movement. And and that's why um, you're right to use the full name, white Christian nationalism. The reason that I don't always use that is the same reason about you know, where it comes in the film and how it comes in the film, which is um, ultimately the the communication is always about persuasion. And um, I definitely, I, I think it takes people to understand a lot of different steps before they can understand why race is so central. And so in the storytelling of the film, Rather than try to, you know, you have to stage stuff out rather than try to give everybody it all at once and give people a lot of things to reject and to be wary of. Okay, you know, I mean, there's there's a great reckoning going on in the country right now over race, over, you know, sexual uh, predation, uh, over all kinds of things that I think we're actively really trying to wrestle with some of our demons here. Um, But there's a lot of the people who you need to reach are also people who are feeling a certain amount of exhaustion about how much that issue is constantly being foregrounded. So, you know, this is an, this is a legacy thing. I think it's, it's come back. It, it is at the origins of this movement. And I think it's come back kind of ferociously in this current um, moment of racial division because, and, and I think it is driving the racial division. Um, and. I think that it's been a, you know, when you make these comparisons to history, people are right to say, oh, well, this is nothing like, you know, it's nothing like how religion was used with slavery or with segregation or with the, the Third Reich and Nazi Germany. Okay, it's true. It's not like that. It's like, it's it's a new way. It's the way that we're doing it now in 2024, which is much more, subtle and you know and is is much is very savvy to how unattractive all that racial messaging is and so it's very layered and very buried um but that doesn't mean it isn't really really ultimately true and the thing that is cutting through all of this and driving this um i think there's no 
way to overstate the role of race in this movement. Thank you so much. Uh, Dan Partland, you are a uh, deep thinker and uh, a bold creative. I'm so glad you were part of this project. Um, how can people watch the film? Where where will they be able to access it? Well, it's, play, it's opening nationally on February 16th. That doesn't mean it's going to be in every town. It's hard to get documentaries into th screens in every town, but it will be on at least, uh, right now it's looking to be 100 or more theaters around the country. And then the second week, we'll probably move to another theater. You can go to godandcountrythemovie.com, which should have the latest listing of what local theaters have it. You should also ask your local theater to program it. If you know that you, people in your congregation, whatever your social group is, would be interested in having it, tell your local theater. If they start hearing from it, they can they can get it as well. I do want to tell anybody who thinks they might be interested in seeing it to, to run, not walk, and see it because a documentary in a theatrical setting is a really rare thing. It will probably be there for one week. And if you thought, okay, we'll get to it next week or the week after, it, it'll be gone before you know it. But um, do get out, bring a friend, um, share it with folks. Um, I think it's a, it's certainly a, a, a powerful night out, um, uh, not empty calories for sure. That's right. Will it ever be streaming, do you think? You know, streaming, usually it will, um, more than likely it will be streaming at some point in the future. Usually that's a two or three month difference, at least from whenever it finishes its theatrical run. Got it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Footnotes. Uh, hopefully the first conversation and we can continue it as folks go and see the film. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know.